think about the, the community as both the text and the context for learning. So giving opportunities for students to learn from and with the community. So welcome to our next Harvard Macy Institute podcast. I'm Victoria Brazel, and today I'm joined by Lisa Jane Jacobson and Jennifer Mecca, who are from the University of Buffalo. I'm going to talk about their curricula change. This is a challenge that I think uh, many of us in the Harvard Macy community have lived through, some successfully, uh, certainly not without some challenges as well. And we're going to discuss those today in the context of their curricula change. So I'm going to start with a couple of introductions. Uh, Lisa Jane Jacobson, she's an alumnus of the educators, the leaders and the assessment courses at Harvard Macy and has been back as faculty for those programs as well. Relevant to today, she's the Associate Dean for Curriculum at the Jacobs School of Medicine and Biomedical Sciences at the University of Buffalo. And for our international listeners, that's in New York State, USA. Uh, she's a practicing obstetrician gynecologist. Uh, she teaches students and residents both in the clinical setting and also heads up their preclinical reproductive module. Uh, as well as that, she's pretty interested in interprofessional education. So how are you, Lisa Jane? I am very well, and thank you so much for having us. Oh, no, well, it sounds like you've been having an exciting time. Uh, and Lisa Jane is joined by Jennifer Mecker, as I said, who's been a uh, attendee at both the 2.0 and Educators programs at Harvard Macy. And relevant to today, she's the Associate Dean for Medical Education and also the Director of their Medical Education and Educational Research Institute um, at the same institution. Uh, she also, and this is quite interesting, leads the Learning Sciences and Educational Success Program, uh, something that sort of is a direct to students helping them have effective learning strategies. Uh, as a PhD educator, areas of interest include implementation of evidence-based educational principles and assessment for student learning. How are you, Jennifer? Wonderful. Thanks so much for having us here. My pleasure. And most relevant to today, uh, Lisa, Jane and Jennifer are co-leading the medical school's curriculum revision and redesign process. And that's going to talk about uh, because this is a big task, as I said at the beginning. And today we're going to work through the example uh, at the University of Buffalo to tease out some of this theory and practice for curriculum development, uh, talk about things like change management, pedagogy and uh, the leadership that's involved. So I might get us to sort of wind back a little bit and uh, maybe give us a little bit of context about the sort of pre-change situation at your medical program, institution and community, and uh, and why change was necessary. Uh, who wants to take that one on first? I came to Buffalo about five years ago, um, and at that time, we were still using a curriculum that had been, I think it was, now it's been about 20 years since they made a major change in the curriculum. Um, at that point, they had gone to an organ-based um, system, um, and it was uh, ser uh, serving the needs um, for the time, but it became quite apparent to everyone who was there that it was in need of a uh, revision, and we needed to incorporate some new ideas. So there was a um, medical school strategic uh, plan that came about in 2017. We spent a year kind of going through what our priorities were going to be. And the number one goal was to revise this curriculum. And so that started us on our way. 
Yeah, and I guess this is part of a trend more broadly in education, isn't it? We used to be very happy with going through cardiovascular and respiratory. And I think there's a contemporary move to say, you know, patients are more than the sum of their organs. And so organizing our medical program this way. Um, anything you wanted to add to that, Jennifer, in terms of that? Um, I'm not sure how long you've been at the institution, but this uh, sort of drivers for change. So I've been at the institution just two years now. And with my training in, in education, I think it has become very clear that the science of learning has a lot to add in terms of overall thinking about structure, similar to what you were just mentioning, Victoria, in terms of our considerations about ways that we can best be integrating content and providing appropriate um, opportunities for students to be learning about the knowledge and seeing it in action and being able to practice using some of those things. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point because this is a shift both in the what we're learning about, how that is structured, but then you're sort of taking us to also how we learn it or how the students mm -hmm. learn it, how we teach it or at least create the sort of learning environments in which to do that. Um, as we kind of just think about the change process, uh, can I ask why you too? How did you manage to get this job for better or worse? I think we were probably um, the most interested and had been involved in efforts along these lines in the past. Um, we actually both are um, alums, of course, of the Harvard Macy program, and we're very invested in um, revamping our, our curriculums in, on the small side uh, with small projects, but now we're working on probably the largest project I've certainly ever worked on um, is to do an entire medical school curriculum. But uh, this is something that we just are both passionate about. Yeah, so this wasn't a matter of you just being the last to step back. You're enthusiastic about the curricular change. Is that right? We, yes, we certainly are. Um, as you, Jennifer and I would tell you, there's never a dull moment um, and there's always an exciting project each and every day. In fact, many of them every day that we work on that we really do enjoy. Great. Um, can I also just for context sake, can you give the listeners just a little bit of a sense of how big is the community in Buffalo and how big is your medical program? How many students are there, et cetera? Jennifer, there are a million people in Buffalo, I believe, um, if you include the suburbs. I think Jeff Jennifer's a native of Buffalo, so she probably knows best, but that's the latest I'd heard um, for the city and surrounding. We actually have 180 students per year. Uh, this is our, um, gosh, our third year that we've had 180 students. We went mm -hmm. up from 140 to 180 as we built our new school and um, expanded um, the ability to, to to train more people. Okay, yeah, no, that, I think that's very useful. And uh, so I think we're seeing this as a little bit of content and strategy for curricular change, but expansion brings some challenges as well about the sort of how, so that's good to know. And we might move on then to the process, and you very kindly sent me some material relating to some of your media outputs and some nice work about what had gone on. Uh, but one thing that really struck me as I read about it, that you had this incredibly wide stakeholder engagement, co-creation, if you will, uh, much broader than I would have thought for a uh, curricular change, including quite a lot of community engagement. Now, why did you do it that way? And how did you manage to make that kind of meaningful and manageable? So it was important for us as we, uh, as Lisa Jane and I were appointed to lead this effort to really facilitate buy-in and engagement from day one. And in order to do that, there are a variety of different stakeholders that were, are critical to the success of this. Um, so we know that when we think about curriculum, that there is the espoused, there's the enacted, and there's the experienced. 
But we also recognize that there are expectations for the curriculum from a, of those stakeholders as well. So when we think about our local community, because like Lisa Jane said, you know, many of our students come back or even stay here for residency and beyond. So there are expectations from the community, from the students' future patients, from their future program directors, from our faculty, from the students themselves. And so we wanted to ensure that we were incorporating and, and giving them voices, um, our faculty members, our clinical, our hospital, our health systems partners, um, and really giving them a variety of different ways to be engaged and, and to share input, um, but also to share with us some of the ways that we could continue to be thinking more about how we might change the curriculum. What we didn't want to do was to simply reshuffle the deck. We didn't want to just reorganize some things. Uh, we really wanted to take advantage of that opportunity to ask people, you know, what what is the ideal? You know, when we think about our your future our future graduates or when we ask our community members, our community partners, when you think about a future doctor or a doctor that you would want to be taking care of you, what does that look like? And, and what are some of the things that you're looking for that you would expect to see? Um, mm -hmm. As you mentioned earlier, we also drew a lot of this from thinking about change management. And um, I personally love Adam Grant's work. Um, and in his most uh, recent work, Think Again, he talks about the need for us to surround ourselves with people who will challenge our opinions. And so while some people might be hesitant to bring some of the people who have more um, nostalgic or more historical thoughts about what medical education should be like or what the training program should um, be expecting of their students, we invited them to the table as well as people from other schools within the university who would who are thinking about things and thinking about education and training and um, health health systems and, and healthcare in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. You need a few of those people at the table that are going to start their first sentence with "When I was an intern." Yes, <laughs> <laughs> need a few of those. Uh, and what does that actually look like? So you have. Uh, community members come and attend curriculum meetings, you have some focus groups, maybe you have some opportunities for written submissions or interviews. Is, am I getting the sense of how you did this? We've, we've been at this um, for a few years now, actually. Um, we started with listening sessions, trying to invite, um, we actually invited ourselves to community groups um, uh, that would, we thought we could get some interesting perspectives. And we asked them those questions that Jennifer just mentioned, you know, what does a what does a great doctor look like to you? Um, what, who would you, you know, what are the characteristics of someone who you would want taking care of you? Um, and we really tried to get um, some, um, you know, some thoughts uh, that we could bring back to our uh, curriculum development team um, and share uh, so that we were going to be patient centered from the very beginning. We we're going to be able to understand the needs of our community and the people who live here and see what it is that they value and make sure that we're incorporating that into our curriculum. Um, and then we had all kinds of workshops with our stakeholders. I mean, everybody from, you know, well, students, residents, uh, we had uh, department chairs, medical executive team, um, all kinds of, of, of folks um, who are invested in the education of the students. Um, and we, yeah, led lots of workshops. We've, we developed two um, 
two teams. Uh, we called it the Curriculum Advisory Task Force, um, and it, there were about 50 people or so in that group, and they were divided into the two groups. One we called Educating um, uh, for Societal Needs, and the other group was called Paradigms, Educational Paradigms. And they were supposed to be um, attending our educational sessions with those perspectives in mind. What what do we need to do to be able to educate our students in order to meet the needs of society? That was one kind of focus. And the other focus was how should we be changing our educational paradigms to really become um, a modern learning institution? Yeah, and more of this toggling between the what and the how. And I don't want to leave this topic of uh, community engagement too early because I feel like it is a relatively novel thing, at least in the depth that you have done it. Most of us sort of have a little token on, oh, well, let's get a community rep and feel good about it. But it's, you have really been very authentic about this. You must have, though, come across some uh, conflicts then because there's some people who are going to say, oh, but what would those community people understand? They don't get it, you know, we're the doctors or whatever. How did you approach moving everybody else to be as engaged with the community as you have been? Or was it easy? I would love to hear Jennifer respond to this as well, but it hasn't been hard. Mm -mm. Um, to date, our, our folks that we've engaged in this process with us are very invested in the, in the patient voice. Um, we really, the, nobody questions us when we say that we want to make this community centered. We want, you know, um, patient centered. We want humanism involved and we, we want our, our students to graduate understanding the needs um, of our, 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 our community as people um, and the, and the, and the social and economic and environmental determinants of health that affect them every day and the things that influence whether they can um, stay healthy and, and prevent disease. Um, we really want that very much for our graduates and not a single person has argued against that um, and they've been very willing to listen to the voice of our of our community. Do you, do you feel that too, Jennifer? Absolutely. No, I, I don't think that there has been any hesitation. I think that we also have been very clear in terms of what people's roles are and what types of input and how often and really trying to communicate that. So our core curriculum design team and, and members of our working group um, are aware of, you know, as how often we're meeting with other groups, what types of input we're asking from them. But um, I completely agree with what Lisa Jane said in terms of the the reception. And, and I think, you know, as she mentioned, I was in Buffalo many years ago and then and moved back. Um, but one of the things I think is that whole, um, you know, Buffalo is known as being the city of good neighbors and, and people being willing to and support, help, collaborate with one another. And that I feel like is really within the, the fabric of of the community here and reflected in the willingness for not just across the university and, and the health system and, and the local hospital, thinking about opportunities for, again, not just pushing out or pulling in, but really working towards that co-production, co-creation and it's not about just increasing that diversity, but it's that idea, that nuance of, of it's we're being inclusive because you're we you're not only having a seat at the table, but but what you're saying matters, and it's actually it's part of then what we then incorporate into the curriculum or into the way that we're thinking about our educational program for the future. 
Well, I think this should serve as wonderful encouragement for others who are tentative about taking that step towards community engagement. Uh, we might turn our attention then to thinking about some of the uh, how of that you're developing and some of the new strategies. And one of the media pieces described you using evidence-based instruction. Of course, that's always a little tricky, isn't it? Because people have conflicting evidence from time to time. We can't ignore the influence of history and how we've done it before. Uh, Jennifer, what kind of evidence-based instruction are you excitedly moving towards? So I think that, you know, one of the things that, that is important, like you mentioned, is this whole idea of clarifying what do we mean by evidence-based, right? Um, so we have uh, a lot of data in terms of how our students have performed locally, um, as well as some of the um, different strategies, approaches that, that we have incorporated in terms of trying out active learning and the students' perception of that and their responses to that. But what we're trying to do is to transition more towards attempting to better integrate the best available evidence that comes from broader education research, as well as health professions research, as well as and expertise um, in considering the context of our curriculum and the unique needs and areas of emphasis. Um, so we want to be thinking about knowledge translation and the collaborative and systematic review of the best available evidence. What might that mean for us here and how might implementation look? And, and what are some of those opportunities? Um, I think uh, Aliki Thomas's work on knowledge translation has been really informative and, and inspiring for us and given us kind of a, a framework and way of thinking about what that might look like. Um, there are many people um, that we learned about through the coursework that we have participated in at Harvard Macy uh, that have informed the work. So in terms of thinking about integration and the importance of integration and what does cognitive integration mean and how might we best begin to explore incorporating that into the curriculum. And then even just broader basic uh, educational principles that we are able to draw on broader educational research in terms of uh, incorporating things like uh, interleaved practice and harnessing the power of desirable difficulties. And again, these concepts that we talk about in the variety of different Harvard Macy courses. Um, but again, how does that how does that look here for us, for our students, for our content, for the curriculum and for the curriculum that we're trying to create for the future? Mm, so you have sort of neuroscience meets uh, the realities of having to work within a system. And, mm -hmm. and so that must have also included perhaps yourself as well as others recruiting some people with some of the educational skill sets and knowledge to underpin some of these methods? I, in progress. So we uh, recently just hired a curriculum and instructional designer who has a, a PhD in uh, curriculum and instruction in the science of learning. But up until now, really what we have been spending time doing is to be identifying what are some of those key concepts that we think are essential for our faculty to learn about and for those involved in the design and delivery of the curriculum. Because really what we know, too, is that we need to be intentional about this, because if we want the curriculum to be implemented in the way that it's designed, we, we again, we need to have the buy-in and we need the faculty to have an understanding of the science of learning. It comes back to, you know, basic things that, you know, I would say that one, when I first 
uh, entered into medical education. And I first started working with students and talking about how to approach learning. So well, let's take a look at the learning objectives and let's think about how you might use those as a tool to figure out what's most essential content and, and to what level of depth. So we really have to be working on all aspects of it, the curriculum, faculty development, our resident development, and our student development so that the curriculum can be a success. Yeah, and this is a really important step, isn't it? And uh, Lisa Jane, you might be able to speak to this because this sometimes the appearance of all these clever PhD educators can be seen as a bit of a threat by the clinician educators. Uh, you do have to take them on a bit of a journey. Uh, how have you found that? Well, it's I don't haven't met anyone yet who doesn't really enjoy listening to Jennifer speak. So <laughs> she's a phenomenal educator. <laughs> so that's one of the things that we do. We're trying to, as we try to teach um, and convey some of these principles, we also are giving people um, tools to utilize in their everyday work. So um, they can actually see it in progress, in pro- you know, see the progress that they make as they implement some of these change. And I, I think in addition to that, um, while many of our faculty and, and our clinician educators are teaching because of how they were taught and may not have as much formal training in education, they are still oftentimes using really good strategies. They just don't always know what they're called or why they work. Mm, and I like your strategy of telling people they're natural so that then they uh, uh, adopt some of your new ideas as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, a couple of little practical things now. Uh, one of the references, again, in that media piece that I read was about learning spaces. Uh, how did you make decisions about the spaces aligning with your approach? Well, the plan for the new building actually was well underway before we um, arrived, even before I arrived five years ago. I think we've been open now for three years, Um, but it was time for a new building. The old building was, um, you know, (laughs) was dated. Um, The spaces were not adequate for uh, this time and uh, the technology was pretty old. Everyone knew that we needed to be able to teach in a different format. We needed to have many more small group rooms that were, you know, comfortable um, spaces for learning. We needed uh, auditoriums that, um, again, were well lit in bright places. Uh, and also, you know, with ergonomics in mind, we have microphones on every desk. We have swiveling chairs. We have the opportunity for students in our lecture halls to turn around and work in small groups. Um, these things were very important. But there was also another really important reason why um, they wanted to build a new building, and that was to um, work towards building our academic medical center where all of our um, our partners could be in close proximity. So they wanted to move the school to downtown Buffalo and to build it right in the middle of all the hospitals. Uh, that's probably a nice segue into one of the other topics because probably every medical program uh, and no doubt other health profession educational programs as well are thinking about the community experience that they get in the program but it sounds like one of the things has been to create more physical relocation but have there been other things that uh, are elements of this beyond the classroom that I uh, was reading about? So one of the things that we've been trying to do is to think about the the community as both the text and the context for learning So giving opportunities for students to learn from and with the community. This means that they have opportunities to learn about the local Buffalo demographics and some of the 
challenges that our local community members face in terms of patient care um, or just in, in activities of daily living, looking at the built environment as well. Uh, they say learn about that and they learn about that through some of our um, actually from some of our community partners uh, and other individuals who teach in, for example, our School of Architecture and School of Social Work. We also are trying to incorporate, in addition to beyond some of the volunteer or service learning types of activities, opportunities for them them to be having their clinical skills sessions um, and to have their their preceptors or their uh, early clinical experiences be within uh, clinics and the hospitals in the local setting so that not only are they learning about the local population, but then they are able to start to begin to practice not only developing some of those clinical skills, but also communication skills. So learning more about how do you take a culturally responsive um, history? What does that sound like? What does that look like? And what are some of the things that you now know are some challenges oftentimes for our local community members and being able to take what they're learning in the classroom, in our clinical skills center, and be able to apply it as much as they possibly can within the local community and developing some of those, again, authentic relationships and connections to both the, the community groups as well as those local clinics. Mm, and it makes people or the learners really understand that there's far more to the healthcare provided in a community than the big hospitals that they might be spending some of their time in. Before we just leave the idea about how the learning looks, uh, there were references again in your uh, articles and materials about teaching systems-based practice and creating lifelong learners. I feel like these are shown in every document about curriculum, uh, easy to say, hard to do. How does it actually look in your new program? We are teaching health system science um, and believe that that to be an, is an incredibly important pillar. Um, one of the reasons is because we believe strongly that unless the students graduate understanding their role within a larger healthcare system, they're not going to be able to function as ideally as we would like them to be able to. So by, by emphasizing um, the importance of understanding the context in which they will be working and, and how healthcare is delivered um, and all of the factors that influence the delivery will, we believe, help, again, help them become better practitioners. Um, and they'll also just get this general sense that when you are working in a system where everything is interrelated and connected, when you tweak one portion of it, there's a downstream effect. The other side gets affected in some way or another. And when they start to see themselves as not just being isolated care providers, I think that, that we all believe that that's going to help them um, adjust to um, our healthcare world when they graduate, but also be leaders, hopefully, in, in the improvement of the system. Mm, so this is sort of connecting uh, theories related to complex adaptive systems with strategies and, and uh, agendas in quality improvement literature. And I think these are, uh, once again, quite challenging when people really want to know what is that heart murmur, um, but trying to think a little bit more about why why would this patient have a heart murmur? What might have been their social determinants of health? And if I was to do an audit, what would I find about uh, 
how well we are managing valvular heart disease uh, and who's involved and, and what if I change something, what unintended consequences might that have? Yeah, very interesting. And the lifelong learners, Jennifer, that sounds like a, a thing that you've actually been involved in with the, with the uh, initiative that you've got going and the contact that you have directly with students helping them learn. Do you all just, you just give them the make it stick book? We we do talk about um, some of the, the key principles there, especially in orientation. And then we actually have a, a longitudinal learning sciences curriculum in which we talk with our students about some of the most effective strategies that they can be using to approach uh, their learning, as well as to help them develop those habits of curiosity, inquiry, develop metacognitive skills and metacognitive awareness and reinforce this idea of intellectual humility and, and being able to um, feel comfortable and feel safe to ask questions and admit when they don't know something, but then to give them different ways of setting some specific goals and identifying strategies that will be most helpful um, and going again through that self-directed learning process and helping to develop their skills as, as self-regulated learners, because we know both of those things are essential. Um, and I think we also have started to uh, be exploring the ways that we can expand that further and have more intentional collaboration through the curriculum itself and starting to incorporate some of those sessions in in the um, small group learning sessions and our team-based learning. So again, it's not just focusing on the content, but how did you find that answer? It might there have been a better way. Um, what what resource did you use? Can you appraise that resource and, and starting to bring all of those pieces together? Yeah, you're making it sound so good. I kind of wish I was going back to medical school almost. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome to. We'd love to have, We'd you. Love to have you as an entering first year. <laughs> It might be, it will be illuminating, I think, but I think, and you're dropping a lot of gems in here that if people are interested, I suggest they go away and read up in a little bit more depth, things like self-regulated learning and a lot of things which I think have been around a while, but are only now just reaching the sort of mainstream of, of medical education thinking. All right, well, uh, although we could have this conversation for a long time, we probably should start to sum up. And I guess I'm just going to get you to give a, I know you're not finished this process by any means, but I want you to give yourselves a little self-assessment at this point. Um, how do you know how you're going or whether you'll be successful if you project in the future? Uh, would you change anything if you were doing it all again? And uh, and where to from here? And I'm so we do feel like we're in the midst of it. And I'm sure in years to come, we'll look back and say, oh, if we had done that a little bit differently, it would have been a lot easier on us. I'd have to say one huge thing that makes this um, um, less scary is that working with a partner that you feel you really trust, who you respect tremendously, um, helps a lot. You know, I feel like a lot of the uh, mentors we've had over the years have really played a huge role in, in shaping us and giving us that courage to do what we're doing now. Um, I have to tell you, I pulled out Tom Aarons' slides on curriculum development when I, yeah. we started this process. And, uh, you know, I went back and asked him questions about, you know, how, you know, exactly, you know, the values and the goals. Tell me again why, you know, we feel they're so important that we work from the institutional goals. And um, it, we, we followed his steps. Um, we really did... Um, listen, you know, to his teachings. Connie Bowes was incredibly important to me um, when in talking to me about culture change and how you must not 
lessen that that the influence of you know the culture and working very carefully to make sure that you are bringing people along with you as you go and of course um all the lessons from amazing faculty like you um <laughs> Vic Liz's teachings Holly's teachings every all the instructional form all the instructional formats we get exposed to and all those things the ideas that what we think we know we want our students will want to um the ways we want to teach them mm. so i'm hearing a lot of sort of john cotter's change model in there too about your guiding coalitions and uh communicating your wins and really having a solid vision uh, establishing that sense of urgency yeah interesting uh jennifer how would you answer the question how do you think it's going and uh any any things you would do differently in retrospect and, and where now so I think that it's 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 going really well because actually there are so many things that we're excited about trying that we're starting to incorporate and try out in in smaller pieces or or some mini pilots. Um, completely agree with with Lisa Jane in in terms of of having a partner and relying on our mentors and, and people that we're introduced to through the Harvard Macy Network. And the most amazing thing that I, I, I think I continue to be inspired by within health professions education is just how generous people are at other institutions. And as you've mentioned a few times, other institutions have recently revised their curriculum, are currently undergoing this process. And being able to reach out to some of those people and find out what's worked for you, you know, what lessons have you learned? What should we be doing moving forward? And I think that we've been doing a really good job at modeling the process that we want all of our stakeholders and all of those who are involved to actually use. Um, to be looking to the evidence, to be having inclusive discussions, to be really thinking about our ultimate goals for our learners. One of the things that that we started this process out with uh, was a, a quote from Simon Sinek, and, and he talks a little bit in his work um, uh, better together about the importance of having someone with their feet on the ground but then you also sometimes need people with their head in the clouds. Mm -hmm. And so we have been challenging all of the people who are part of this process to help us do that. And that there are going to be times where we really have to think about the practical, but we also don't want any of it to be limited. Uh, and, and so trying to just toggle between those those two areas, I think, is, is crucial for success. Yeah, well, this is wonderful. And uh, I think it does make it revisit. And I think it's easy for our listeners to hear the kind of role modeling that you are both doing in terms of the curiosity and the uh, real interest in having ideas challenged, but also the discipline of uh, matching that with what we know about sort of theory, practice and evidence. So, uh, well, congratulations. So much to sort of think about. And I guess just sort of reflecting over our chat now, thinking about what are those drivers for change in contemporary medical education, thinking a little bit about the what of what we're trying to get our medical students to be able to do and be uh, as doctors, thinking about how the community can really help us uh, in generating some of that uh, what, as well as some of the how. And I guess thinking about some of uh, pulling in the contemporary approaches to medical education strategies and helping learners be part of that uh, as well. And ultimately, uh, having the discipline of thinking, are we there yet? Uh, have we succeeded? What does success look like? So look, I just want to thank uh, Lisa, Jane, Jennifer, thank you so much for your time today. It has just been a wonderful chat. We've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Vic. Thank you. 